0: La 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 morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Are Your Parents Proud of You? Are Your
1: Parents Proud of You? The we podcast.
0: On ICE and in 3D. <laughs> and
1: soon coming to a theater near you.
0: Yes, on the stage. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Matthew Schufrider.
1: I am LJ Bullen.
0: Welcome to the Season 4 premiere. If you haven't listened to our Season 4 Sneak Peek episode that we did a couple weeks ago. and
1: little, little appetizer.
0: little appetizer
1: <laughs> what? I don't know what
0: that is, but it's incredible. Uh, go ahead, listen to it, get to know our new co-host, LJ. Uh, super exciting, with a great time, no alcohol required.
1: But if you want to drink, it's cool. Oh, yeah, sure. Do that, too. Uh,
0: so, LJ, uh, who is our guest today?
1: Well, our first brand spanking new guest on this brand spank spanking new series is uh, Cynthia Henderson. She is an incredible um, professor at Ithaca College of Acting. She was my acting teacher. Mm-hmm. And she's a Fulbright Scholar. She has created a Performing Arts for Social Change group. She's really just kind of an all-around amazing person. And, uh, yeah, we got into it about, you know, Black Beans and Alabama and, uh, Hannibal Lecter and Jesus. And, uh, it's all, it's, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride.
0: So, uh, get the keys, get the kids, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, steal some kids, and, uh, give
1: them the car. And here we go. How are you doing, Cynthia? I'm doing great, thank you. So just before we started, we were chatting about Zoom, Uh, And this sort of segues perfectly into how things have affected you in the last year. And you
2: were talking about um, eye contact. That's where we were. Okay. Well, as I was saying earlier, one of the things that I found very interesting coming off of Zoom and going back into interaction with actual human beings, go figure, uh, is that it's more difficult for me to maintain eye contact. Mm-hmm. Because I'm accustomed now to scanning, looking at the camera, to to um to kind of give the illusion that I'm looking you in the eye by looking into the camera. So that now uh one of the I, I went to coffee with a friend. What? Coffee <gasps> in real life with a person and wearing no mask? I haven't and, been for coffee in fifty years. Coffee at the same time. Cheers.
0: This water's good.
2: Coffee is made with water. Yes. Ergo, you are in the family.
3: Oh, thanks.
2: Oh. So, so one of the things I noticed as we were sipping our cafe is that I was having difficulty maintaining eye contact with her. Mm. Um, I kept scanning, mm. like looking at people as they passed by, looking around her, looking, you know, and then I looked back at her. Because I, I had to remind myself, no, the human being is in front of you. Mm. And I, and I, I wonder about that because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm shifting back into maintaining eye contact rather easily now. But we have a bunch of first years at Ithaca College who did their entire first year as BFA acting and BFA musical theater majors, giving the illusion of eye contact. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what it's going to be like be like for them in their sophomore year because they've never ever been on campus they haven't been interacting in an acting way with another person in front of them so I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to engage and make eye contact and make that human to human connection because of course we all know that acting is about Uh, exploring the human condition and exploring why we do what we do and a lot of times you have to take in that energy of the other human being in front of you make eye contact with them so that you can see you can get a sense of what's happening with that other human being and they haven't had to do that
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know for an entire year of training I almost wonder if their
1: reality one, reality two work is going to be stronger because of that.
2: That's true. Reality one is being your life. Reality two being your life with imagination or the character's life. But like I found myself
1: having to flip more and be aware Mm -hmm. of both levels when I'm doing a lot of Zoom work because, personally, I get distracted uh sensory overload so like when I have like you know 12 people on the screen and I'm also scrolling a script and and all the other stuff is like there was a lot of times where I was kind of phoning it in on an acting level Mm -hmm. because I was too distracted with the mechanics of making everything work that I I'm looking
2: forward to like not having to deal with all of that I know right gee I just memorize the script and then I deal with what's going on in front of me go fligger
1: like, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't also have to be my own stage manager and tech person and
2: everything. And I was going to say, don't forget, you've got to be a sound designer. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Directing She Kills Monster uh, uh, virtually was insane because my poor actors, I mean, they had sound designers and people like that consult to consult with, but they also had TVR majors helping them figure out their green screen. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, framing, hitting your marks, you know, because we also did choreography. Duran, our sweet Duran Jones, he's such a sweetheart. He volunteered to do the choreography for She Kills Monsters. And it was beautiful choreography, but it was really interesting watching. He was in New York Uh working with the actor, and the actor is in Florida. And another actor was in, oh gosh, I forgot where she was, but then I had an actor who was also in London. Oh, wow. wow! All of these, and they're all IC students, but this was how She Kills Monsters came together. I had students everywhere. I caught COVID. I had three monitors in my bedroom, (laughs) because I was on quarantine (laughs) directing the show. And how and, and there was a team of designers and TVR majors, you know, helping the actors do their own tech, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. figure out lighting, green screens, uh, when you disappear off the screen and how you're going to come back on the screen because there's a graphic that you can't see. So that was something really amazing. They learned how to work with green screens, but they also had to set it up. They had to light it. They had to uh, figure out their um, their marks, you know, uh, figure out which, you know, I would guide them and look this way. You have to look up because that person's in the box above you. We dissolved boxes, so it looks like sometimes they were standing next to each other, or one was sitting on a bed, another was sitting behind a desk. Globography. Oh my gosh, it was insane, and they all had to remember that, okay, Tilly's over here, Agnes is over here, you know, this person's over here. And so when they're talking, they have to remember which way to look. Look up, look down, look over to over your shoulder because you're at the table. It's mm-hmm. It was crazy. And they did it beautifully. What's crazy
0: is like, I finished school as this pandemic was starting, I was a senior and uh-huh. i feel like a lot of the seniors were not accustomed to zoom didn't want yeah. to do it but did not how did not want this to be their last project which could be on a computer screen meanwhile you have the incoming seniors graduating high school who get started on zoom have the full year on this is online i think they're going uh-huh. to have the upper hand in terms of a creativity and b very different ideas of how to place things and how to do things on a smaller set as mm-hmm. opposed to on a real theater because when i started i was very much being big and yelling using my hands going past the box mm-hmm. and all right, that right. not knowing how to play to just a camera it's the weirdest i think like tv acting in the world well, that's house. what
2: i was going to say that show turned into kind of a tv acting course a tv mm-hmm. acting right. green screen course And those students that were graduating uh, Ithaca College seniors, um, they had also just had, some of them had already just had me for advanced scene study, uh, which is a class I created, uh, a scene study class, kind of so they can come full circle from first year, and then they have a final uh, scene study course.
1: Uh, I would have wanted to take that.
2: I know. I remember this course was created because students like you kept asking for such a course. So I thank you. And you
1: welcome. You welcome
2: this, future students. Yes, and the future students thank you. So we had already done some of that work in advanced scene study. So coming into um She Kills Monsters, they did have a grasp on that. Plus, uh we were working the um the human interaction. And one of the things I talked to them about is how often have you had very intimate, very engaged, very emotionally charged conversations with another person via Zoom? Mm. And bring that aspect, that's, thats it was kind of a melding of your reality one with reality two. So that, you know, and I often talk to students about loaning your character aspects of your own reality. So that you can be, um, uh, oh gosh, in more invested in what they're dealing with, how they're dealing with it, you know. So, I don't know, this whole Zoom thing has been really interesting, but I have to admit, it's still not a replacement. It's been intriguing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We have found some really amazing work and done some amazing work in Zoom, but it's still no replacement. Or live, in-person interaction. Mm -hmm. I feel like every
1: Zoom reading or performance that I do, I definitely learn something. I definitely take something away from it. Right. Every time I do one, it makes me even hungrier to get back on a real stage. Right.
2: I can't wait to be back in the space with, uh, with, with my upcoming, my rising seniors for advanced scene study and first year scene study. So I'll be teaching both ends of the spectrum, which is going to be wild and so exciting. And we get to do an in-person oh my gosh, my first in-person directing in over a year, um, with Rent. <clears throat> so oh fun! Get ready to do Rent. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Oh, Way I'm so excited back. For to do that. Way to come back! Oh yeah, I have a CBGB's t-shirt. Because I'm feeling that vibe. Because basically, I lived rent. I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah, my life yeah. was rent when I was in New York City, and we even squatted for a hot minute. You yes. know, yes. we did because we were broke. We had no money, and we were studying theater. <laughs> yeah. the
0: theater. Well, speaking of, well, I'm really curious to see, like, what would you like as a child? You know, you, is it true you grew up in Alabama? There's yes, a Southern I way. Did. But
2: <laughs> He
1: said I had to say it the right way when we did this. I said, She's from Mobile,
2: Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I'm a Bama girl. And yeah. proud of it. Proud of it. I know Alabama is a hot mess politically, but the people, you know where you stand.
3: Mm-hmm. If
2: if if a black person and a Caucasian are friends in Mobile, they are actually friends. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It is not a fake thing where they're pretending to be your friend, but secretly they're racist in the South. If someone is racist, you know, they're racist. They're going to tell you up in up North. It's a little different. It's a little more insidious because people can, you know, uh, kind of be friendly to your face, but Mm -hmm. be prejudiced or racist or whatever there is, is, but, um, the thing I loved about growing up in Alabama is people were very authentic to who they were and absolutely insane. Yes, there was a movie called Crazy in Alabama. That is so true. <laughs> Alabama people are nuts. And I am a product of my nutty environment. But that also gave me a level of fearlessness, you know? Because... I don't know. I, it, there's just something about growing up in the South that's rather frustrating and angering, but at the same time, massively liberating. Mm-hmm. I am who I am. You know?
1: It's almost and... like tempering steel. Like, it's, uh, it's a difficult uh, process to temper steel, and yes. it either harden or it'll break.
2: Right. And, or you'll get that beautiful f- steel that remains malleable, mm-hmm. mm. you know, that has that flex like a fine sword yeah. that seems to wobble, but then it can cut. Very true. Um, and I guess that steel magnolia uh, trope, there's mm-hmm. there's some truth to it. You know, I am a very unapologetically feminine person who all happens to prefer wearing sweats, jeans, and t-shirts and sneakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I am unapologetically feminine, also. You know, and I don't know if you picked that up in um, in class when when I was teaching you. That but I
1: will say. Oftentimes when mm-hmm. you are teaching, and it is one of the most incredible things about having you as a teacher, is you are always in service of your students
3: mm-hmm. in that
1: you are almost in reality one, reality two, when you're in teacher mode, like yeah. teacher is a character. Yeah. And so anything that you did in class, it was in service of whatever your students that you were working with needed. And I yeah, remember yeah. the first time I came to office hours with you. And it blew my mind. And I was just like, oh, and I had this big epiphany light bulb moment. I was just like, she's playing teacher when she's in. And so that's not, I mean, it's her, but it's not entirely her. And there's so much more. And there's all these other parts, but like those aren't in service of the student then. So we don't see them. And as soon as you get out of class, you, you see all of these other things. And it was just like this total Like mind fucked moment that was like great. Well,
2: that's the landscape. Yeah. This landscape. It was was the first week of class. I didn't know about it yet. There are so many facets of the human being. Um, The real personal you shifts depending on where you are and what you are in service to. Because ultimately, my service to the needs of my students is ultimately to a larger service, which is bigger than all of us, service to the art. And being in service of the art, to the art, is ultimately service to humanity because it is our job to share with humanity who they actually are. But then kind of working in a problem-posing solution way, you give the audience opportunities to either embrace, restructure, adjust, or inspire them, whatever it is you inspire them to take action on what they just saw. Because everything we do is an aspect of the human condition. So ultimately our work is in service to the human condition. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. We're
1: just basking in the, in the glow Jesus. of you.
2: <laughs> Yay! I'm gonna drink coffee while you bask.
1: <laughs> well, there's the, I feel like there's a lot of, I mean, that's, you know, it. I feel like it's easy to talk about stuff like that in an idealized way. And it makes it sound very clear cut and simple.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not. It's not. Um, and it's really difficult to do that i feel that you can there's a lot of people that would say the same thing but
2: in practice necessarily do it yeah and that's one of the things i've been told that i i've been ahead of the curve in the way that i teach acting for a number of years because there's a social justice there's always been a social justice aspect Mm -hmm. to my teaching um in that I have always seen our work as being bigger than us. Mm -hmm. The art is bigger than us. And of course, humanity is bigger than us. We are a part of the art. We are a part of humanity. But we are ultimately in service of our fellow human beings to help them see what they're doing Mm -hmm. and give them an opportunity to explore why they do what they do. And again, like I said, that that in, that then gives them the opportunity to take action. I call it actionable objectives. I've been calling it that for years. It's become a buzzword now, but I don't care. Um, this idea of that idea of okay, what's your objective? Okay, now what's your other objective? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's always an other objective. I never like to stop at what's your objective to get them to come back into my life. What's your other objective? I desperately need them to forgive me so that we can go on with our lives together. That's the objective you're really working Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because to just get them back into your life can turn manipulative. But to get them to forgive, give you is to recognize you've done something that needs to be forgiven.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Sort of a need, want.
2: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's multi-layered, and it's one of the things I think that separates the artist from the performer. And there's nothing wrong with being a performer. I think performers are necessary, Um, but the artist is not satisfied just with giving a pleasing performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want the truth. Yeah. They want they want to speak the truth of that character in that moment in order to inspire some necessary action. And that action um is is um that you you find out what that action is from the play, but then when you go deeper, when you find out what the action is in the play, you then have to go deeper. That's where the research comes in. How is the action that is uh, necessitated by the play, how is that connected to society now? What's happening in society now? And that's, that's why you can find the relevance in almost every play, almost, not, not every play. There are some plays that are just dated, <laughs> and there's really, you know, you are just exploring a historical moment in time, but there are some plays that have a beautiful timelessness to it because.
1: You were just talking, he was, what, what's it called? Um, same time next year. Same we were just talking year. about this last night. Oh my night. gosh. Yeah. That is like such how, a wonderful play and that you could do it. In any time period, with any race, with any gender,
3: mm-hmm.
1: any sexual orientation. You absolutely behavior. can.
3: Yeah.
2: It's dated in the way it's originally performed. Right. But the text opens itself up to being um, current to this time period. It and just, and you just gave well. me a great idea for the next, um, for a scene that my scene study class is going to. Yay. You're welcome. I'm and, uh, going back to same time next year. I have thought that play in ages. It's so it's good. It's a great play. It's, it's so awesome. good. Did you see the movie? Oh.
3: Yeah.
2: You have Aldo. no idea
0: how much in love I am with but I like, don't yeah. get wrong. Oh my
2: gosh. He's a wonderful He fan. wants to be Alan Alda. Like I want
0: it. to be Did Alan Alda. Did you see
2: his work in uh
1: West West Wing? Yes. We're obsessed. Oh. We've seen everything. Oh, we've seen oh. every episode oh. of Ash. All of the things. Alan Alda is the Ooh. national treasure.
0: Look, when I asked him to be on this show, and his he couldn't do it because he doesn't do other people's podcasts. But Ooh. I have Alan Alda, and I talked to you? I did. Well, I talked to his agent. Know. His agent said no, but I have in my room the framed picture of the rejection email I got because <laughs> I think it's still the greatest thing in the world that Alan Alda's agent said no to me. I'll take it. Love it,
2: love it, love it, love it, love it. it. Oh my God, I love it.
0: But who was somebody like your biggest inspirations growing up? Was it teachers as well or was it someone else or others?
2: It was teachers and actors and human beings. Mm. Um, Mahatma Gandhi Mm -hmm. was an inspiration to me in sort of just cutting through all the BS and finding... What needs to happen and doing it in a peaceful manner. Mm. Um, Lloyd Richards inspired me and he was a teacher. Sanford Meisner. Um, Cicely Tyson. Mm. Mm. She is my heart. She is a goddess. Can we just sit? Take a moment. With the ready. goddess that Cicely Tyson is. That woman was, you know, people talk about Meryl Streep. I love Meryl Streep, by the way. This is not a dig at Meryl Streep. Um, but people talk about how Meryl Streep, like, completely transforms. So does Cicely, and Cicely did it first. Yep. Let us take a moment and digest that.
3: There
2: hmm. <sighs> we are. So these are some of the people whose work, but there's a lot of other people also. Meryl Streep is another. Um, I love her work. She she's you know, she is right up there in the pantheon with Cicely and Lloyd and Sandy. Um, there are a lot of people. My mother, I call her, she's passed away, but she was the last of the Red Hot Southern Belts. And
1: Oh, that's a play you need to write.
2: Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, she is a play. Holy shimmoly. the Last lot- of the Red Hot Southern Bells. I'm buying tickets already, Cynthia. Oh, god, that's true. Last of the Red, and it would be about my mother, my mother, the things that she had to deal with raising a single mother, raising four children in Mobile, Alabama, in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Let's just sit with that. Yeah, and I remember that she joined the police force as a dispatcher, and she was very purpose- purposeful about why. Mm. Come on, she had two boys, two young African American boys, and we're in the Deep South. was mm-hmm. so smart could-
1: and so heartbreaking at the same. Yeah,
2: well, uh, I mean, like she had to talk with all of us about how to deal with police officers you know and to her credit she was brilliant in what she did because they take care of each other yeah and sure enough one time my brother and i got pulled over he was he was zipping along in mom's station wagon you know we got pulled over as much as one can zip in a station wagon Oh my God. Come on. Let's just, let's just roll with it. It was, it was, it was the (laughs) seventies, early eighties. Just it fell faster uh, because there was no seat belts, right? Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Um, so we're driving and he's zipping along down the street and we get pulled over and he's the police officer is swaggering up to the car. And this is one of my first major acting gigs was I started crying trying to figure out how do I work mom's name into this? Because I could tell from the way the police officer was approaching, we were about to get in have some problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And first words out of his mouth were boy. And I said, I told you mom's going to be so embarrassed. She's going to be so embarrassed at work because they're going to be like, how on earth do you, do your children not know about, you know, safety. She's going to be so mad. Who is your mama? Miss Geraldine, Miss Geraldine, she's a dispatcher. Please don't tell her. Please don't tell her. You Jairus children. Oh, now. Whole shift.
3: Wow. Uh,
2: Whole shift. Because I was like, how do I work my mom's name into this without yeah. giving it away that she had this talk with us? Yeah. Whole shift. He was like, no, you don't need the sweet as pie from that point forward. Where- Now, son, you do not need to be zipping down the street like this. You know your mama's going to have a fit. Now, I'm not going to tell your mama about this, okay? Now, you just get on with yourself. Y'all behave yourselves now. Smiling, sweet as pie. And got back in his car, waved at us as he was driving past us. My brother was shaking. Wow. I mean, I'm getting chills just listening to you tell that story heat as pie the minute he realized my mom which is
1: terrifying
2: so i think almost more
1: terrifying
2: what would have happened in 1980 because that's when this happened what would have happened in 1980 if my mother was not a dispatcher for the mobile police department now that's not to say that all policemen are like that but this happens to be the deep south Mm -hmm. yeah You know, but even in the deep south, there are good, solid police officers. I am not one of those hate all police officers people. Mm -hmm. Only because I know from firsthand experience that they're not all bad. But the silence is not good either. And fortunately, many of those officers are starting to speak up. Yeah. You know. So. we Well, we were talking about Alabama. I still love Alabama, don't get me wrong. Climbing trees, playing in ditches, please. It was the best. <laughs> Crazy uncles, please. We love that. <laughs> well,
1: I would like to talk a little bit about the Performing Arts for Social Change. And if you'd just like to tell us a little bit hey! about
3: it
1: about that and um, sort of the impetus behind getting it started and and a little bit of uh, what that looks like for you.
2: The organization of Performing Arts for Social Change was actually inspired by a student, Amanda LaForge, in 2007. Prior to that, in the 80s, up until that point, um, I was just kind of doing my thing because I always felt like art had more, the art of acting had more to offer than simply entertaining folks. And, um, I used to do stuff with the urban league when I first moved to New York, uh, working with gangs, helping them develop monologues about their lives, um, working with children and helping them find the superhero that lives inside of them. um, just beautiful, yes, really I um my son was at a student at PS four, and I am one of those parents who try to be involved. Yes, I was you know my 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 my, my jam was full time acting and part time teaching because um, I was not a good waiter, so there we are um, <laughs> I wasn't I'd forget what people had I, <laughs> After time, I got great tips because I looked good in my little you know uniform, whatever. There's a time I spilled water on a guy I knew was a gangster, and there was fear. Oh. Oh, please. goodness. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I was like, he's going to kill me. He's. Going I mean, to
1: there's moments, out. like, most moments in my life I'm, like, annoyed at, like, not at being female, but just at the shit that we have to deal with. But and there's, there's moments like that where I'm like, I'm really glad I'm a girl.
2: Exactly, because he did not punch me out. I started crying because I thought I was going to be shot and he was like, it's okay. It's okay. Hey, it's just a suit. It's just a suit. It's okay. It's all right, sweetie. It's okay, sweetie. And I'm like, yeah, you call me sweetie. You keep calling me sweetie. yep. yep. I'm, I'm your okay. sweetie. I'm yes, absolutely, absolutely your sweetie. In, in this moment from, from the moment until I never see you again, you may call me sweetie. You yep. know, I was like, I'm good. It's okay. It's just a suit. It's just a suit. It's all right. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. So anyway, I'm a terrible waiter. Um, So there's that. Um, Performing Arts for Social Change actually began and this is going to sound kind of cheesy. This art form has given so much to me in my life. It's transformed me as a human being in a good way. The art itself, working for the elevation of the art. And I wasn't thinking about elevation of humanity at that time. I was just thinking about the art. Mm -hmm. And it clicked once. I was just working with some folks. I was trying to figure out I wanted to do some volunteer work. And I was like, oh, I can help them create you know how can i help them think about their lives and changes they may have made wanted to make blah 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 whatever whatever plus i was 18 i'm invincible once again you know nobody's gonna hurt me except for that gangster that i spilled water on um but i started doing volunteer work with them and i did this exercise where it started out as poetry It was really more poetry than monologues. And the poems were about what brought them into this particular life. And I saw people considering or reconsidering choices, whether they went and made any changes, I never knew, because, you know, at that time I was just doing the project. Mm-hmm. um with the with with the urban league, and um so it was like I said this was back in the eighties um I had just moved to New York City, and i just I wanted to do something good, mm-hmm. and um that's kind of where it started. Then I started using it in different ways with kids and storytelling. And helping them find their voices as storytellers and giving them a sense of some type of empowered beh- empoweredness in, in terms of who they are. Because kids are so often just kind of brushed aside. And years later, before coming to Ithaca, while I was um, living and working in New York City, so I was much older by then. I had my kid and everything but um he was going to ps4 and i wanted to volunteer just to be an active parent you know at my kids school and i was like what's what can i do oh my skills so it is acting, you know so i i worked with third graders fourth graders and fifth graders um in some of the accelerated classes, but I also go in sometimes. Oh my God! And the elementary school teachers are saints, by the way. Oh yeah. yes, they oh, are. Oh yes, they are. They are sainted because because in an emergency they had me sub. I had a master's degree. Why not? I could sub second graders. <laughs> nope. Oh my gosh. Nope. No. 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 It's not it's not back here. Alphabet. The back oh my god i was i I was shook um (laughs) but um the third graders the teachers were in the classrooms for these projects so (laughs) Um, the third graders we were we explored greek mythology and Mm -hmm. i had them Write.
1: oh i bet that was fascinating
2: and i told them choose who you would write as your 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 greek um your 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 um the gods in your greek story <laughs> okay i'm in new york city i'm in washington heights across the bridge is the yankees of course they chose the yankees <laughs> <laughs> turned them into greek gods and we wrote uh are uh, 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 we u- using because um, oh God, I'm forgetting the story now because I had this great book of Greek stories, and they decided to take one of those stories and in a twist, the New York Yankees were the gods represented in this Greek story, and Sammy Sosa was the you know was the father of all gods right. um it was it was insane. Oh my God, um, I love it. But it was hilarious. And they were so proud of it. And they did a reading of it um, for the entire third grade assembly. Wow. You know? And it was beautiful. Um, for the fourth graders, and my son was a fourth grader, in his class, they decided they wanted to do, the, the fourth and fifth graders decided they wanted to do Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So I had to teach them Shakespeare. I had to teach them the text of Shakespeare. They wanted to speak the text that's not an americanized version of it so i found this shakespeare for children's book and we took the party scene where romeo and juliet meet Mm -hmm. we took that scene and did it in the class yes palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss and um i put that lyric
1: into i i have a song i need to send you that's on my new album that it's perfection. a total
2: Shakespeare nerd song, and I have palm to palm in it just from that. Yes, perfection. And um, they cre- they made little paper swords that they had to check at the door to come into the classroom. Um, they dressed the way they decided. Medieval people would dress in fair Verona. Oh man, right. I wish I had uh, photos of that. You know, oh my gosh. And their teacher was cracking up. But the thing was, is that they had that language down.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: Down. And the teacher, fourth grade teacher told me because, you know, they're opposing and they're, you know, they don't like each other. Some of them don't like each other, you know, in Romeo and Juliet. So, Cabulats, you know. In Montague's and two cute things happened from that exploration. Um, Romeo and Juliet, the giggles were real. <laughs> they were kissing, you, know? you know. The giggles were real. And then I remember one of the students, one of the students said, Come on, y'all, it's Shakespeare. And they're like, Okay, okay. You can't write that. Come on, you all Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> was, was that student wearing the fedora and, and the scarf while having the Starbucks, saying, This is good stuff right oh, here?
2: So I know, I, right? I need this to be a film. I need this to be a film. This about hilarious. And that same class, one of the kids cut. The teacher told me about this. That same class, somebody cut in line at the cafeteria. And this kid touched tapped the other kid on the shoulder and said, Pray you avoid it. I was dying. I was dead. I was like, they have incorporated Shakespeare into their regular language. I am Oh dead. my Lord, that is. I was yes. the teacher was like, she did a double take, cafeteria workers did a double take, and the other kids around, because it was the same class. Nobody was even phased. Yeah. Wow. So obviously it be, it just became a part oh, of the language. I was dead. And the fifth graders, we did the Scottish play. And, wow. um, three of the students really wanted to do, where shall we three meet again in Thunder Lightning? Or they ate that up, up in Washington Heights at PS4. Fourth and fifth graders were jamming Shakespeare.
1: Awesome. I love every
2: bit of this. Loving it. I was just like, and this was part of it, though. I introduced them to something that it was not a wealthy neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's getting gentrified now. But at the time, it was um, primarily African-Americans, Dominicans. I don't think there were any Caucasian kids at that school. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, they didn't go see Shakespeare. It's so. But then funny they wanted to.
1: That like Shakespeare has become sort of this like people think of it as like highbrow
3: and well, like yeah. itty-toity,
1: and it is and it has become that. But th- when you go back to the roots That's of just it. What they
3: call- it's yes.
1: just how they talked and it, it was theater for the people like it yeah. was it was for everybody it Well was. and these kids made it their own Exactly yeah. so I love the full circle of that that like yeah. they took it back and they were so hungry for it and, and that is an aspect of theater for
2: social change Yeah Yeah the elevation of the art the elevation of the humanity uh of those uh, of the experiences of those particular human beings Shakespeare became a part of their lives in a very unique to them way. Come on. Tapping someone on the shoulder, skipping the line and going, pray you avoid it. I was just like, I can't. I can't with these kids. And then I did a showcase with them where it wasn't a Shakespeare showcase. We Because they did their scenes just in their classes. Mm-hmm. And they were just, they were just, you know, rolling with it and enjoying it. But then... Uh, the principal asked me if I would do a show and I said only if it's a show of their favorite uh, stories. So we were going to do like, I think it was Three Little Pigs, Henny Penny, The Sky's Falling, Mm -hmm. and there was another one. I forgot. There was three short stories we were going to do. But the auditions, instead of making them come in and do I don't know, you know, read from the play or tell me your favorite story, I asked them to Uh, create a superhero and I had students coming in being solar woman and recycling man yes there was a recycling man yes you know it was Uh, and one kid was like uh I forgot what his actual name was but his superhero could jump higher than anybody in the world And he said, you want to see? You want to see? You want to see? And I said, yeah, sure. And he jumped up as high as he could, and he landed. And he went, I just came back from the moon. And I was (laughs) like, you're amazing. You're the best jumper ever.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. My heart.
2: Oh, my God. I I just came back from the (laughs) moon. I just came back from the moon. And I was like, you are the best. So. That's an aspect of theater for social change. Instead of having them create a monologue, blah, blah, blah. I want to see how they saw themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who were, who, if you were a superhero, who would you be? And they came in and some of them had tinfoil hats and shields and, you know, uh, some of them came in, you know, with just their regular clothes, but a cape, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
2: some of them came in with their lucky cap because their lucky cap gave them, you know, big powers. It was amazing and they believed it. And that was what I wanted to see. If you're doing something that you deeply believe in, can you convince me? And to a kid, they all convinced me. Yeah. And because the other rule was you can't have any help from your parents. And you could tell, I don't think one parent had anything to do with those superheroes that showed up on that stage. And it was beautiful. And that's that's kind of, you know, just going back to Performing Arts for Social Change, that's kind of where it came from, helping those who think they have no voice find their voice. Mm-hmm and speak their truth and then ultimately allowing them to find a way to help others find and speak their own truths Mm -hmm. as it relates to the life that's happening with them. Cause these were, you know, and, and these are usually marginalized communities that I work with. Um, but not always, you know, sometimes it's just the community in general. Like I did the social contract 2020 with, uh, police officers, um, leaders in the community and, uh, other, you know, community members who are impacted by the actions taken by elected officials and police officers and we came up with this amazing agreement this wasn't a theater thing but i used theater training techniques to get to those truths mm-hmm. so sometimes it doesn't take it doesn't take form as a performance but you still use those techniques yeah theater is one of the most powerful art forms there is because it is so, we were talking about the steel. Yeah. Yeah. The, those, those swords that are still kind of malleable, but they cut sharp. That's theater. Mm-hmm. It is malleable steel that can cut straight through all the BS and get to the heart of the matter if you know how to use it. It's the same with that sword. That sort would just get out of control if you don't know how to use it. Yeah. The same is true for theater. And that's why, though, uh, our job is to make acting look like anyone can do it. But anyone can't really do it because they don't know how to use that malleable art form that can cut straight to the heart of the matter. That takes training, just like anything.
1: And self-reflection. And the ability
2: to self-reflect. But that's that's part of the training. Yeah. Part of the training is self-reflection.
1: That's why I do um, meditations
2: um, in class. mm -hmm. That's why we do those meditations, the candle exercise, touch a rock.
1: there's so much of that that I'm now coming back to, like, having been in therapy with a good therapist for a while now, and like a lot of the things that I'm working on Mm -hmm. for my own person, I bring back to a lot of those exercises and things. And I was just like, kind of marveling a little bit at how how important that was for my acting training, but how important it was for my human training.
2: Exactly. And And those two
1: things are inextricably linked.
2: They are. You can't, you can't train as an actor in a reputable program without coming out at least somewhat changed as a human being. How you use that change in your own life is completely up to do, to you. Do you use your powers for good or evil? That's up to you. I got nothing to do with that. But my hope is because of the self-reflection component of it, um, I do try to guide the actor to use these these techniques not to manipulate negatively but to elevate, you know, in a positive manner.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, you know, a positive to humanity manner,
3: mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's
2: theater is like its own weird kind of therapy, you know, like. It is and it isn't because there is drama therapy because okay. I do tell students all the time. I am not a therapist. Right. You no. Know? And I am not training you. This is not your therapy. But yes, that reflection aspect of it. Absolutely. I'm sorry I cut you off, but that is really important to me. No, for sure. Like, don't come into my studio seeking therapy.
0: No, for sure, because you're because not you're, you're is, you are your a, own therapist, is what yeah. I'm saying. Because you. like it's you're a, exploring
2: everything you do, and I would rather help you find an actual therapist if you need that. Yeah, because the tra actor training is not therapy, because you are gonna face some stuff. Mm-hmm that you don't like, or stuff that freaks you out. And if you are in need of therapy, I would say, I'm cool with you being in the class, but we need to find you an actual therapist. Because I do not have the training to guide you in a therapeutic way. I have a training, I have the training to guide you as an actor as an artist but not as a therapist that is that is that would be highly irresponsible of me right. you know i respect human the human beings that walk into my into my studio i respect them way too much to be armchair therapist thinking i'm helping them some kind of way no i would be harming
1: i wish all acting teachers knew that <laughs>
2: No, it's, it's true though, man. I, I, if they don't, they, I hope if they're listening to this podcast, Hey dude, you're not the therapist. That is not your training. I took psych, I was a psychology minor. That does not make me a therapist. I took psychology as my minor to deepen my understanding of the human condition and how to explore that as an actor. but. I have sat in my office many a times and called CAPS, which is Ithaca College's um, therapy space, mm-hmm. and I've sat with students many a time to help them, you know, make the call. I will walk you over to CAPS. It is I it it would be the height of irresponsibility for me to think. I could guide you as a therapist, just because I took psychology as my minor. Mm -hmm. That's also being to the students
1: a little bit, just bragging on you for a minute, because we're we're getting we're getting to the close. Oh, Um, we we touched a little bit on on landscape theory, but for everybody who's not you and me, um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Um, we can explain that to our to our non Cynthia devotees.
2: In a nutshell, the landscape theory is, as human beings, we are capable of every single emotion, action, you know, there is an Attila the Hun in every single one of us, there is a Mother Teresa and a Jesus Christ in every single one of us, and everything in between. At some point in our conditioning, as we were growing up, society taught us, girls do this, boys do that, da-da-da, big girls don't cry, you know, da 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 whatever. And we've cut off, cut ourselves off from aspects of our human condition. My job as a teacher as an acting teacher is to help you unlock and have access to every aspect of what it means to be a human being so that you can access it for reality too. I do not want actors to access their Attila Hun or their Hannibal Lecter, you know, in reality one and run around eating people's liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. You know, I don't want them doing that. But if they have to play a character like that, I want them to be able to have access to that. And I've developed a couple of exercises. Um, we do a meditation to learn and explore and visualize. It's a guided meditation so that you can start to explore those aspects of yourself in a safe, controlled environment. And then find access to them with scripted work. But I've also developed what I call the exit strategy, which is, it's kind of like a kitchen. When you go into the kitchen, you're preparing a meal for your guests, your audience. And, you know, you're very specific about the ingredients, the temperatures, all of these things. So you're doing all of that prep work. Mm -hmm. You're gaining access to what you need, right? Then you go out and serve it, do the performance. Then you bring it all back into the kitchen. You wash the dishes. You put the spices away. You you put the leftovers in the refrigerator. You clean the entire kitchen up. And then you exit out the back door. Mm -hmm. That's the exit strategy. So you don't take that stuff with you back into reality one. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: I I don't need to answer because that's a key class. That's,
0: but... that's new to me. That's new to me, so it's fine by me.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, but the the landscape theory is about gaining, regaining actually, because it's already there, regaining access to all of those things, all of those aspects of what it means to be a human being. Mm-hmm. There is a serial killer in every single one of us. There is. We are capable of everything. There is also, I say the Jesus Christ, not in terms of pushing a religious value, but in terms of that person known as Jesus was known for their unconditional love for humanity. There is a Jesus Christ in every single one of us that loves Everyone unconditionally and is willing to sacrifice self for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's everything in between Hannibal Lecter and the Jesus Christ. Our job is to access it for the needs of the character. But our jobs for ourselves and for, for society at large is to learn how to clean it up, clean up the kitchen and exit out the back door and leave that character right where it is. Mm-hmm. We don't take the character with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is a perfect
3: segue.
0: Yeah, speaking of taking in and taking out, we're going to play a game uh, called, uh, called Time for Two. And it is two minutes, two minutes on the clock. Random icebreaker questions.
1: Just, just whatever pops into your head. Oh, I have to ask them? Yeah. No, we're going to ask you the questions. You're going to answer. Oh, okay. Oh. I was like, oh, oh come God. up with questions well, right yeah. now. You, you
3: have mean, two uh, minutes.
1: What's the meaning of life?
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a slice of pie. 42.
1: 42.
0: Uh, e equals m t square. All right. Here we go. Uh, you're going to go first, my friend. First thing. Right there. Oh, okay. Here we go. Three, two, one, go.
1: Favorite article of clothing?
2: Uh, 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 t-shirts. Analog or digital? Digital. Used to be analog, now it's digital. Coffee or donut? Coffee.
0: Favorite kind of smoothie?
2: Uh, Banana strawberry with peanut butter. Ooh!
1: Uh, Did Han Solo shoot first?
2: No. Pets, yes or no? Pets, you said? Yes. Kids, yes or no? Yes.
0: (laughs) Favorite kind of pudding?
2: I don't like pudding. Good. It has an icky icky texture. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? As much as it wants to.
0: Favorite president?
1: Obama!
2: Yeah.
1: Favorite kind of bean?
2: I was going to say fava just because it was in my brain. Um, I don't know. Uh, Oh, black beans. There you go. If you moved to Sesame
0: Street, who would you want as your neighbor?
2: Oscar and Cookie Monster. (laughs) Yes. Um, How do you spell theater?
1: R-E or E-R?
2: R-E. Describe your life.
0: Bug's life or Toy Story?
2: Oh god, a combo of the two. Ah. Uh is Jim a school subject? It should be. I like Jim.
0: Does Miss Piggy love Kermit?
2: She just wants to have him. It's the it's the it's the chase for her. And our final
1: question of the evening. Who framed Roger Rabbit?
2: <gasps> um uh oh gosh, gosh, gosh! Um 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 the guy who wanted to buy Toontown! Uh, and destroy it with the big buggy eyes. Ah! Not yeah, Arka, can we play but the, <laughs> the buggy eyed guy. Yes. For sure.
0: sure. I, if I go on IMDb right now, I'm going to look up for the buggy eyed guy. And I think it knows exactly what I'm talking about.
2: Yes. Because you thought it was RK Maroon, but it was not. It was not. not.
0: <laughs> it was the buggy guy.
2: Yes. The buggy eyed guy.
0: Yes. Who's
2: uh, talks- not? They Who dropped the piano on uh, the detective's brother's head.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I should rest
2: uh, with your memory.
0: That's my homework now. Uh, Cynthia, before we go, we do have one final question, uh, which is, are your parents proud of you?
2: I think they are. I think so. <laughs> I, mean- I lost both of them within five months of each other, a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they were. They used to tell me they were. So I'm going to believe them. I can't imagine that they weren't. Well, thank I you know so I'm right. proud of my kid. Oh my uh. god. He's, he's the best person in the world. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's awesome.
2: Oh,
1: wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Thank
2: you for having me. I'm so delighted to be here.
1: Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this latest episode of Are Your Parents Proud of You? The podcast. We had a wonderful time. We hope you did, too.
0: Oh, my God. She was incredible to talk to.
1: Just kind of like every word that she says out of her mouth should be on an inspirational poster somewhere. Right. And like after I feel, or after I talk to her, I always feel like, like I know exactly what I'm going to do with my life and how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to accomplish it. Nothing can get in my way. Like,
0: <laughs> I feel it, like everything she says, it should be at the art institute, but have its own little section for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, need a, I need a little Cynthia to carry around in my pocket and tell me all of the things that I need to know about the world.
0: You know what I love? Our email.
1: Ooh, me too! Yeah.
0: If you have any questions, comments, feelings, or concerns, or other ideas, you can email us at parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. That is parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Also, don't forget to check out our Instagram at parentsproud... podcast podcast. <laughs> Ah, that's our handle. Uh, where you can get information about our upcoming episodes and uh, never miss a beat.
0: Never miss a beat. Just like five, six, seven, eight. And on that note, folks, that is the first episode. We are so excited for many more episodes to go. Uh, once again, thank you to Cynthia and thank you to all of you for listening to this episode. I am Matt Friday.
1: I'm LJ Bowling.
0: And we'll see you next week with. Uh, actor, playwright, and activist Matthew Lee back.
1: Ooh, it's a wild ride, folks.
0: It's a wild, wild ride. Rinse and put it. See pudding. you then. Bye, yeah.